Welcome, Peter. All right. My name is Peter, a recovered alcoholic. I'm grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, again, thank James and uh, Rachel for having me and uh, get to share with you uh, my experience, strength, and hope. As a result of going through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, which was a vehicle for me to get to a place to experience God and not to worship the methodology or the big book or even Alcoholics Anonymous, but to worship the power that all those things take me to. And I get to live in all three sides of the triangle today, not being top-heavy in fellowship and doing nothing in service and in recovery. And so like a stool can't stand on one leg, I can't function on one part of the triangle. And intuitive thinking comes from being current. Intuitive thinking comes from living in all three sides of the triangle. When my spiritual muscles are being worked out, I'm coming to a place that people speak my language, the fellowship, and I enjoy the camaraderie of our sacred fellowship, and then I give the whole thing away in a form of service, and comes of age says the basic service we do in Alcoholics Anonymous is one drunk working with another. And that doesn't mean I give you my phone number and call me when you want a drink or I take you to an AA meeting that's car service. What I'm doing is I'm working with another alcoholic in the way that was taught to me. And I do it the way it was taught to me and I incorporate all the new experience I've had and they will do it with other people. And we pass it on. I'm very grateful for that because when God separated me in June of 1988 from alcohol, I mean, I couldn't tie my shoelaces uh, without getting help. I would call my sponsor for everything. Or I wouldn't call my sponsor because I thought he would think I was weak and cowardly. But we bottom out. We can bottom out as I did in Alcoholics Anonymous. We can bottom out when we're out there. And I bottomed out out there and in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I got to see through this work, especially through inventory, when my sponsor was taking my inventory for free of charge. That my whole life was self-deluded. My whole life was based on misperceptions and conceptions about everything, including who I be. And then we can get into the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, like I did, and we start working with the life of prayer meditation, and then we suddenly think we're Moses, and we think we've seen visions, and we're having these God moments, and they're just ego-induced. And what happens to me in prayer and what happens to many of us in prayer when we're in prayer and prayer becomes the most important part of our day where I have fidelity to God, to prayer, to meditation is that I have no clue what's going to happen to me and all the attachments to who I think I am and what life is about is completely removed here. There's nothing left, nothing left at all except God. And that doesn't feel good. And the ego is not trying to worm its way into my prayer meditation. While I meditated for five minutes, I've seen Moses, I've seen Jesus, I've seen Buddha. I'm walking in the sunlight of the Spirit. Let me share this with you. I'm enlightened and all you subjects are here to see me. I've seen this happen in AA. Every five minutes, they're having a vision and a spiritual awakening. They go into prayer and they get frustrated when they're not having a spiritual awakening. It's because the ego is fueling all of that. 
It's very interesting with prayer when we're really in prayer, not just praying by road or or praying because that's what everyone else does, but when we have a moment of dedication in prayer and it's surrender to God, we have no clue. I have no clue where I'm going. I don't know what it's going to feel like, but it's giving attention to this power and removal of self. The self must die. What inventory does is removal of self, the death of self. After I'm done eating, I clean out the inside of a cup, and the outside is fine. I don't just clean the outside of a cup and put it in the rack. You want to know what your belief system, I want to know what my belief systems look like. Take a look at my actions, right? Somewhere else it says a good good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't give away bad fruit. If you want to know what I'm all about, take a look at my actions. You'll tell you what's going on on the inside. I can pontificate all night. I can quote chapter and verse of all sorts of books. When I get outside, I cut you off and I flip you to bird. When I leave church, I cheat on my wife. I embezzle from my company, but in front of you, I'm angelic. I'm Moses again. Right? I'm bearing bad fruit and it's infecting you. Because the inside is rotten, which is how I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I may have thought I was the sharpest guy in the world, about as sharp as a bowling ball, right? I really thought I was sharp. But what was going on? I was poisoned. I was poisoned with this thing called alcoholism. And that's not only the drink or the substance, it encompasses all my belief systems that I have acquired over years. All my fears that I have been learned, that have been taught to me, and I bought them. I keep buying more. I go down to, you know, the drift store and buy three fears on sale for one dollar. Give me a dozen. I mean, that's how I operate. More belief systems, more prejudices. And then I walk into Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm wondering why I'm so screwed up, why my GPS doesn't work, why I'm constantly getting angry, why I'm constantly driven by fear. It's because I have no relationship with my creator. I'm more afraid of the truth than being powerless and irresponsible because the truth doesn't feel good. Walking through the archway, the truth will set you free, but my grand sponsor would say it's going to piss you off along the way. The truth is not an easy pill to digest. The truth is uncomfortable when I get to see me on paper in inventory and then I go discuss it in step five with the sponsor. Here I am, and it isn't an autobiography about all the things I've done and things that have happened to me and all the people have persecuted me, all the people have harmed me and critiqued me. That's not what this is about. Whether they did it or not, it's about my inventory for the first time in my life. And I write column one, I write column two, and I get to look at column three and all the delusion I've been living with, how I give people my life to hurt, interfere, or threaten the seven areas of my life all based on a lie. And the first truth I get to see is my fourth column. My fourth column, I get to see all my self-delusion. And in my fourth column, I need for my fifth step, because it's the truth, my fourth column is the first tangible thing. Well, I'm going to have to make amends because of what I've done in column four. My fourth column will reveal my, my defects of character. My fourth column will tell me, go make amends to this person, because this is what you've done. Fourth column is critical here, yet it's the column that rubber hits the road, separates the men from the boys, the women from the girls, and most people will bail if they're not in step four by the time we get to the fourth column part of the inventory because I'm holding a mirror up to me, and that was not comfortable the first time I took my inventory. 
There's a funny story, if you believe it or not. Uh, Adam and Eve eat the apple, right? The first thing when God shows up, what does Adam do? He blamed his wife. Tough fall. She made me, and she blamed the serpent. Let's blame everything. Blame somebody. I didn't do it. Not my fault. He made me do it. She made me do it. I mean, that's how I operate. Inventory says we're not doing that anymore. Even though other people were partly to blame. So rubber hits the road. Now, the interesting thing I found with inventory is, I think I shared this last week, when I would try to write inventory on my own power and self-reliance, I would minimize the amount of writing. I would justify when I was writing or I didn't write. And if I agree to turn it over to God, he really thinks I mean it. And if I don't continue to turn it over to God, my, pursuit, my illness is going to pursue me and pull me back. So what am I going to do? Where's my sense of urgency? And I began to pray, and I began to write a prayer off the top of the page. Thank you, God, for allowing me to be searching, fearless, and moral, as it was taught to me by my elders. And little by slowly, I started to write. And things started to appear on paper that I thought I forgot about, that I was tucked away somewhere. But that's God shining a flashlight on the inner workings of my mind, the things I've been tucked away that never going to see the light of day, the shame, the guilt, the remorse, the embarrassment that all had to come out. It was the cancer that was killing me, the alcoholism that was killing me. And only God can reveal that because my ego will never allow us, never allow me to reveal those little things. It won't. The ego wants no part of this work. The ego wants no part of God. The ego wants no part of inventory. And the ego wants no part of self-inventory. A life without inventory is a life not worth living, as it was once said. Rubber hits the road. 90 meetings in 90 days does not apply here. It means absolutely nothing. I don't know where that came from. Don't get me started on that one. Make 90 meetings in 90 days. I got Joe can't make it till 9 o'clock and I'm throwing a jail sentence at him. How about in 90 days you're sponsoring three people and you've walked into the sunlight of the spirit? Let's talk about that. All right, 90 meetings in 90 days. Guy's got a week and he's thinking, I got how much more time? And then what after 90? Well, don't leave till the miracle happens. You mean I got to stick it around even longer? By the way, there was no such thing as 90 meetings in 90 days when Alcoholics Anonymous started because there weren't 90 meetings in the world. <laughs> but treatment centers and therapists infiltrated into Alcoholics Anonymous. We rolled over and they said 90 meetings in 90 days. We got all over the AA halls, including big book meetings. Big book workshop meetings have 90 meetings in 90 days. Talk about hypocrisy. Because nowhere in my big book does it say make 90 meetings in 90 days. I'll get off that soapbox. <laughs> so I wrote my resentment inventory, four-column inventory. And there were people who did bad things to me. We all have those stories. We're involved in sort of like a drive-by. And the book says we disregard them entirely. Where were we at fault? By the way, about that, lots of times, and we all use the same language, but we really got to be careful of what gets uh, internalized. My part. What was my part in this inventory? My part means you had a part too. See, what's my part? My part's this. What was her part? What was his part? In the book, we're not even forget their part. The ego likes that. My part, that means you had a little part. 
You're a little bit to blame too, you know. That's not what the book is saying. We don't care what they did. It's my inventory completely. How long have I been hating this person? How often did I volunteer to get into a relationship that I knew wasn't healthy, it blows up in my face, and then I condemn the other person? You knew going in it wasn't going to be pretty. But there were some fringe benefits attached to this relationship that I was going to go with, right? And it goes on and on and on like that. I completed my resentment inventory and I did my fear inventory. And I listed all my fears and why I had them. How those fears hurt into fear or threaten the seven areas of my life. How did self did self-reliance fail me? Absolutely. The interesting thing about a book, it's a great promise. We will outgrow fear, my book tells me. So using fear to stay sober is futile because I'll outgrow fear. Using fear to keep me spiritually fit won't work because I will outgrow fear. Fear is not a good motivator. Maybe when we're counting days, but eventually we get to a place where fear is not barking at us to stay clean and sober. Fear is not breathing down my back to stay clean and sober. My trust and reliance is upon God. Self-confidence doesn't work either. Self-reliance doesn't work. Because if self-confidence and self-reliance work, then we all get a little self-confidence at times. You know, we kind of flex our muscles. I got the girlfriend. I got the boyfriend. I got a nice job. I got some money. I got a new car. Look at me. I have arrived. If that stuff works, which is purely external conditions, then I will never experience fear again. I will never drink again. And as long as I keep all those ducks in a row and all those external conditions according to my plan, I'm good. Why am I sitting in an AA meeting? But the reality is none of that stuff works because a book says we're like the boy whistling in the dark. At any moment, one of those things are going to leave. At any moment, one of those things are going to move. At any moment, she or he's going to speak at the, end of t- at the wrong time, and I come crumbling down again, give me a drink. So even self-confidence and self- self-reliance are delusional. It's a trickster. The whole thing is a setup by the illness to get me back to a drink. Wants me dead. Settle for me drunk. What's the path to freedom? God, how do I get there? Four through nine. I mean, it's as simple as that. And so many of us hang around in Alcoholics Anonymous waiting for the miracle to happen. There's about two, three hundred of us in here tonight. About? The miracle's happened. What are you doing when you leave here? Going home right inventory or trying to pick up Mary or Joe? I hate to be rude, but that's just the deal. I see a lot of new people falling, dropping like flies. Instead of going home and spending time with a big book and God, they're out doing things that aren't real spiritual that the sponsor's not supposed to know about. Right? And so I'm fronting at an AA meeting. I, my AA game face, I'm still a player in AA. I got all the, all, all the, the jitterbugging going on while I'm sitting in the sacred rooms of AA. I want to be spiritual, but a player too. I want to be Moses and Snoop Dogg all in one. <laughs> Spike the coffee, I think. I'm. <clears throat> I'll show my age. If you were Mick Jagger, we're okay, right? I did a young people's conference. Have you gone to these things? They're crazy. They, they play like rap music right before you're about to speak. They're dancing. They're, I, weird dances now. They jump up and down. I mean, I don't know. And I made a joke. I says, like, how about, like, 
Rolling Stones instead of this whatever you're playing. And as soon as I got done, they put on the Rolling Stones and 300 young people booed me off the stage because I had the Rolling Stones on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I went home and wrote inventory. Um, <laughs> I'm still here, I don't know where they are. Um, so I finished my fear inventory and um, I got into sex inventory. Now, how do I do this? Real men don't have sex problems. Real men are studs. Real men have no fear when it comes to women in relationships. All big lies. Huge lies. I was as scared as a mouse in a corner when it came to relationships. Felt inferior, inadequate in, in, in making love. Felt inferior, inadequate in talking to a woman. Felt inferior, inadequate in a long-term relationship which was usually drug and alcohol induced anyway. I had no clue. I was brought up with belief systems that a woman's place is in the home and a man as John Wayne goes out and hunts and brings the, the food back, brings the money back. Yeah. Right? So when I started dating and Mary was thinking about going off to college to get an education, which normally you would applaud, I was like, uh-oh, she's gonna be a problem. What do you mean college and get a job? You mean a job? You're supposed to be home cooking for me when I come home. But I wasn't working anyway. I mean, yeah. So I had problems in relationships. It's the belief systems I was brought up with. It worked for mom and dad, I guess. And so you buy into that. And even for me, when I saw something really wasn't right about this belief system, but I held on to it. And we will defend our belief systems till the end. You know why? Because I believe they represented who I am. It was my foundation for living. This is how it's supposed to be. And any threat to that, I had to do away with you. I had to get away from you. I couldn't have you in my, my group. You were a threat if you challenged that. And that's a great litmus test to see how attached I am to my, my belief systems as soon as you challenge them. Like, there was a time in AA, if someone challenged me about the 12 steps, I'd get very defensive. The steps don't need defending. If you challenged me about God or prayer meditation or came in with a different uh, uh, angle on it, a different influence, I would defend it. God doesn't need defending. But that's what I would do because what you were doing was challenging my credibility. That's a problem. What I have found going through the work over and over again and finally landing in, in the sunlight of the spirit, you can challenge me all you want. I'll meet the resistance with no resistance. I may learn from you. There's a difference being a shift because of that. But I couldn't see it until it was on paper. We do it growing up. My corner, my neighborhood is better than that corner and that neighborhood. Black better than white, white better than black, this is better than that, I'm better than, and it goes on and on, and we honor that. Countries go to war over that. Because that's who we be. No, it is not. And until I, I only experience growth when I walk into the unknown. Real growth occurs when I step into the unknown. And the unknown is, I, everything gets removed. I don't know who I am. I don't know anything about me. I have no attachment to anything, and I stand before my God and you in the raw. And then God can guide me. It's a great practice in meditation. It, you, you can work with it. takes some time. It's a little frightening. We go into meditations called no name. 
I have no name. I have no origin. I have nothing. I'm just spirit. Peter Marinelli gets thrown in the wastebasket. Being from an Italian-American family gets thrown in the wastebasket. Coming from Brooklyn, New York, thrown in the garbage. I have nothing. No attachments. It's a little strange at the beginning because when you're doing that, you realize how attached I am to all of that. What my name represents. All my story. All my disappointments. All my heartaches. All my accomplishments. This is Peter Marinelli. Remove all of it. What inventory is doing is just that. Remove everything and find out where we've caused harm, where I have resentments, where I have fear. All the roadblocks between me and God. And always, when I'm writing inventory till now, I always remember that anything comes to me in inventory is given to me by my creator. It's the touch of the master's hand, pushing the pen to get me free. Because when I says, please get me free, he really thought I meant it. If any of us have children and your little son or daughter came up to you and says, Mom, Dad, I'm in a lot of pain. Can you please take the splinter out? You would take it out. You wouldn't say, make 90 meetings in 90 days. (laughs) So when I go before my God and I say, I'm turning everything over to you because I'm dying. Please help me. He really thinks I mean it. And it's getting removed. Now, it's going to hurt. It's going to pinch. Going through the archways, the squeezing, it's not going to be comfortable looking at truth. I'd rather be irresponsible and stay powerless than to experience this truth. It's a removal of everything. The process of recovery is subtraction. It's removal. It's unlearning. There's no addition involved. God gave me, God gave you everything we need to walk this journey. Everything we need is given. We have the whole toolbox in here. And what I've done is accumulate stuff where I can't even see the toolbox anymore. And God continually removes and removes. That's why I love going through the work over and over again because more gets revealed to me. And I get a deeper connection to God. Why? To be a better effective agent for God to help others. Not only in Alcoholics Anonymous, but wherever I go. So my breath in, my breath out is one of God. Let me be a direct reflection of God. In all I do, even when I fall short, I'll make amends and fix it. How does someone else want to be talked to? The same way I want to be talked to. Can I remember that? And sometimes we forget, but we make amends. So I wrote out this sex inventory. There's a whole bunch of questions in there. One time through the work, my sponsor had me take a look at all the sex inventory questions and use it to God as my personal relationship. And I saw how much I was practicing infidelity to God. Other things came before God. I was cheating on God. You know how I cheat on God? I'm supposed to spend 10, 15, 20 minutes in prayer, but my shirt is more important, and picking out the right tie, I'll pray on the way to work. I just cheated on God. I'm reading things I shouldn't be reading, watching things I shouldn't be doing. Instead of spending time with God, I'm cheating on God. I'm not practicing loyalty and fidelity to the power, the only power that's going to keep me away from a drink or drug. The only power that breathes life into me so I can be here. The only power that keeps me alive with breath to speak to other people, to show for work, to show up for life. And yet I cheat on that and I minimize and I tuck it in the corner. How's my relationship with God when I look at my sex inventory? Hmm? Great practice. About the third or fourth time through the work, my sponsor had me list all my resentments and all my fears and then list the opposite of every one. Fear of dying, fear of living, fear of money, fear of no money, fear of good health, fear of poor health. 
Look, the opposite of everything. And I saw no matter what was given to me, no matter what was removed, I was still not right. External conditions are never a remedy for this illness. They're always a liability. My mind is the biggest uh, a predator I can face. It will cause a, two, a traffic jam with two cars. It's a problem. I see through my mind, which is fear. I speak through my mind, which is fear. Who I be is through my mind, which is fear. My behavior is through my mind, which was fear. How's that working for me? Terrible. I need to hear, speak, and see, and be with this power. Oneness, no more duality. There's no separate, there's no me and God, there's no you and God. We say that, but really, in reality, is there me and anything else when it comes to God? Everything's God. There's a connection. We can't be separated from that power which we already are. God cannot be left out of his own universe. We look at the car we have outside. We trace it back to the earth. At some point, it came from the earth. God. The chair was sitting in. We trace it back. It comes from the earth, the material. Who created that? God. Everything is God. But when I'm delusional and uh, uh, walking not in the sunlight of the spirit, when I'm chasing things I shouldn't be chasing, I can't see any of that. It's about, what about me? Where's mine? I remember going through the work one time, and I was coming on really, really difficult financial times, um, near filing for bankruptcy. I, I mean, I, I couldn't do anything right financially. It was really bad. Couldn't get a job. And I'm writing inventory. And, but I'm working with people. I'm going to meetings. I'm speaking around and doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. And I was really angry writing my inventory. And I, and I told uh, one of my teachers, Joe H., I says, you know, I'm doing all these good things. Why is God doing this to me? And he laughed. He says, so you mean when you do good things, you're supposed to be rewarded. What if you got rewarded for the bad things you did? How's that look? What if you got a prize for all the bad things you did? How much trouble would you be in? We're supposed to do the right things because the right thing is what God wants us to do. Without applause for it, it's who we be now. Doing the right thing doesn't require applause. Not if I'm doing it for God. When I'm doing it for ego, I expect a standing ovation. And I'm going to tell you about it too. I'm going to tell you all about my acts of charity. Tell you all the people I work with. Tell you how many people I sponsor. And look at them, how well they're getting. It's all because of me. We'll see that usually anniversaries when coins are given out, when the sponsor takes four hours to give away a 90-day chip. Right? Just the great work I've done. I always like to share this story. I was uh, living in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, and uh, I had this little studio apartment. I had a bookshelf that I made into a desk. I had nothing. And uh, just got back to work and um, notepad, pen, and a big book, and I'm writing inventory, and I uh, had this little, someone gave me a lamp, I put it on top of the table, and writing inventory, and I'm writing inventory, and I'm writing inventory, and I remember something connected for the first time in my life. It, there was a connection in the writing. See, lots of times we're looking for the goal, the prize at the end of the road. When I do all this work, I'm gonna get there, but the prize is in the walk. The discoveries in the walk, the connection is in the walk, in the sweat and pain and the labor of scratching and clawing to do this work. It's one reason, I don't want to drink and I need God. And in there we find utopia. In there we find the stretching and the growing. In there we find it. But I didn't know that going in. And I'm writing this inventory and I'm at it, I'm at it. And one night I remember looking out this window and I could see the very tip of the Verrazano Bridge. 
you know, little lights on the top. And there was something about the light and seeing a piece of the Arizona Bridge. I was safe. I didn't know anyone money. I didn't harm anyone that day. I'm in inventory. I'm following direction. I got AA. And I'm doing all the, the things I'm supposed to be doing. And there was a, a feeling of warmth and connectedness, rightness, an okayness in here with me and God. I didn't run to the phone and call my sponsor says, I'm having a moment. I'm having a vision. I'm enlightened. Let me speak somewhere. I remember what happened to me. I just was like, thank you, God. I gave thanks to my God. Just something was different. I felt okay. Years since I had felt okay. Probably the last time I felt okay is when Mama held me in her arms. And it came through this work. I don't know what kind of alcoholism some folks have. I know what kind of alcoholism I have. I know what alcoholism does to me. I know what kind of alcoholism my mother had. I saw what it did to her. It ravaged her until she committed suicide. It ravaged me until I attempted suicide. It took me to homeless and degradation and humiliation, despising every person, especially God. That's the kind of alcoholism I have, where I take people with me and I don't care. It has no mercy on me. That's the kind of alcoholism I have. So when my sponsor hands me a big book and says, we're going to write, we're going to read, we're going to do an assignment, that's more important than me go speaking somewhere. That's more important than me watching TV. Unless my ego's so out of control, I can wait. I've turned down many speaking engagements to go home and do my big book. Because my big book is the vehicle that's going to take me to God. This is a reflection of what I've been doing the last six days, the last six months. That's all this is. That's why I don't need to prepare. As I always said, I hope I don't show up for this. And so I got my fourth step done. And there's one more piece, the sex inventory, talks about the sex goal and ideal for my future sex life. Because based on my track record, it doesn't work. My ideas about sex, my ideas about men and women are upside down. They don't work. They're distorted. They're not working. Based on my experience, I'm having trouble in all these areas. So what's the sex goal and prayer look like? Pretty much the opposite of where I've caused harm. It was like loyalty, fidelity, honesty, integrity, humility. Living in the sunlight of God's spirit. God, you show me what relationships to have and how to have them. You show me how to serve you in this relationship and stop being so self-serving in a relationship. You show me how to be honest and loyal. Because I can't, based on my own power. My book told me in chapter 4, lack of power is my dilemma. I need power. But am I willing to live along the lines of that power? Or do I want God's power, but I still want to run the show a little bit? Don't touch the money and sex, God. I got that. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) So I created this prayer. My sponsor even had me do a little extra assignment. It's not in a book, but just something to help me have a deeper experience. He had me write out my ideas of what a real man looks like. And I wrote down it was this tough guy with lots of money, in control, in charge, John Wayne. And he says no and hung up the phone. I had to write again. And I modified it a little bit. And he says, not yet. Hung up the phone. About the third or fourth assignment, I says to him, Mark, all I came up with is a child of God. He says, now you got it. That's a real man. What would a child of God do? Bring love where there's no love. Bring peace where there's turmoil. Now you got it. That's it. All that other stuff is told by us how to live. A real man does this. A real man drives a Ferrari. A real man has lots of money. Well, what about the man who doesn't have money? 
who can't get a job, who drives a less expensive car. But honors God and his family and his wife and his loved ones. Is he not just as much a man as the man who has all? And the man who has all can do those same things too. See, none of that matters when it comes to God. There's no requirement to walk through the pearly gates. How much money you got? Huh? I'm sure St. Peter doesn't sound that way. <laughs> I get it all done, and then now the next body of work. Now, it's interesting in our book says, in step five, <clears throat> it talks about how we may not overcome drinking if we don't do this fifth step. There's a clear-cut warning. My sponsor said, if we don't do the fifth, we will take a fifth. Right? Step five is part of the house cleaning process. Bill splits them up. Bill's real good at that. Four and five, six and seven, eight and nine. But step five is part of the house cleaning process because a solitary self-appraisal is insufficient, my book says. So I can write a really nice looking fourth step and tuck it away. Book says don't do that. Go to someone who's, who's prepared to hear this, be objective about it. Usually it's a sponsor. When the book came out, they were few and far between. But nowadays we have sponsors who are in this book, usually giving us the assignment. So part of my fifth step is four. Part of four is five. It's one movement. So I get done with this work, and I got to show up at my sponsor's house, and this is the first time I had doubt and skepticism. Up until this point, my sponsor walked on water. He invented AA in my mind. He was God. Until I had to take everything to him, and now I knew I was going to share. I knew what this was going to be about, and suddenly the thinking came back like, who is this guy? I'm not sharing sex inventory with him. I hope he has the flu so he can't see me. And I remember hitting my knees, okay, Father, please just get me to Tony's house. Just get me there. I don't know what's going to just get me there. Next thing I know, there was a knock on the door, and he invited me in, and we sat. And we made some prayer. He shared some things, read some out of the book, and he's off we go. And he took some notes as I was reading. As I do now with my guys, I take notes. The notes are the common things that keep showing up. Because on page one, it starts, and page 25, we got the same stuff going on, different players, same stuff. Same me operating over a number of years. The same fear guy, the same resentful guy, the same self-serving guy, the self same self-seeking guy, same self-reliant guy, just different players over years, same thing. And he was able to point that out to me as I do with the man I sponsor. Came time to sex inventory and I got really uncomfortable. There were things in my first inventory that were very embarrassing. How am I gonna do this? And as I started to read to him, he stopped me. He says, how much shame and embarrassment are you feeling right now? I said, a whole bunch. He said, we're going to stop. I want you to go home and write inventory on what you're feeling right now, how much self-loathing you got going on right now. I did that. I came back the next night. And before I started, he shared with me about things I was uncomfortable with sharing with him. I said, oh, you too? Okay. I got a little opening because he had similar stuff. I'm not so different. I'm not so dirty. And so I kind of eked it out. And as I eked it, it came more and more, and there it was. And he gave me feedback. When I shared some inventory on things that were done to me when I was a kid, he says, same thing happened to me when I was a little boy. He said, how dirty did you feel growing up? I said, extremely dirty and angry. He's me too. This is what I did. And the great forgiver is God of them and me. Okay, keep moving. 
One of the most difficult things I had to share was my anger towards my mom for committing suicide and leaving me at 14 with two younger brothers. How dare you do this? I know you were sick, but you copped out. And I thought the heavens were going to open up and earth was going to open up and swallow me for being so angry with mom. And he says, well, I got some stuff with my mom, too. He was teaching, was going back and forth. He wasn't sitting in a throne saying, come to me and share me your stuff. He got right in there with me, which is what I try to do today. Yes, I'm teaching. I'm the sponsor right now. I get it. But I need to get in there with the drunk because I know how uncomfortable they are. And we're all uncomfortable with the sex inventory. We all are, especially the first time through the work. Because hopefully by the fifth or tenth time through the work, that behavior is long gone. But the first time through, when we're raw, when we're coming out of the starting gate, we got years of stuff that no one's going to see till right now. Even the inventory, when we're writing with God, no one saw it yet. But we got to do it. It's a necessary ingredient. It's more pruning of the tree to get free. How free do we want to be? How much of God do I want to experience? A little bit. Did I ever experience just a little bit of drugs? A little bit of crack? A little bit of heroin? A little bit of drink? I had enough for tonight. I'm going home. All right? I never saw a crackhead take one hit off the pipe and say, oh, geez, look at the time. I'll see you tomorrow. And I know we got a few of them in here tonight. (laughs) I mean, I never cracked a seal on, on, on Mr. Boston and went, oh, that's so good. Okay, I'm done. How free do I want to be? And have we not suffered enough? Park Avenue or Park Bench, have we not suffered enough? Hmm? I can't experience God with my mind. I can only experience God with an awakened spirit. I can't experience God thinking about it. I can't experience God putting it on paper. I can't even experience God when you tell me about your God experiences. I can experience God with an awakened spirit. And I don't have to be having spiritual wings yet. But the awakened spirit looks like this. You give me direction, I'm following, because I want what you got to offer. You're talking to me about God. I want that same God already opened up. I think I said a few weeks ago, this process, this spiritual awakening, doesn't necessarily happen as we're writing. It happens... When we're out there and we say, I'm done, please help me, it's already started. There's no thinking involved in that. The dialogue changes for a brief moment. We say, please help me. I'm completely out of my mind, which is a great thing. That process happens as I'm writing as well, as I'm out making amends, as I'm out taking direction from my sponsor, huh? The other thing I got to talk about in step five, which was wonderful, um, was the things that hurt, the pain, the things that go dormant. We forgot about them. They're put away somewhere. Yet it's how we operate. Something ignites those those things that are tucked away. Maybe the sexual abuse. Maybe the physical abuse. Whatever it might be. It's been tucked away in a vault. No one's ever going to see it, including my inventory. But it comes out, and now I get to discuss it with someone. Here's the thing that makes me swallow hard. Here's the thing that I get very nervous about. And we get to see, because of that, cancer that's sitting around, is I've been, I come out of that. I, it's all fear. I come out of that. I speak to you. Even though I look calm and collective, I'm fearful. You're judging me. I need to step up and look like a real man. 
She's talking to me. I need to present a really good way. Why? There's no judgment on their part. I'm judging me and I'm judging you all fear. It's all out of those pieces that have not been fixed yet. And the only way they're going to get fixed, the process that I'm speaking to a sponsor with, is really another piece to me to get to God. Only with the touch of the master's hand is this stuff going to get fixed in his time. I just need to be willing and patient. Because it's not my calendar, it's not my watch, it's God, and he knows exactly when to make the stuff grow. And when we get to six and seven, in fact, I think these things are not good for me. And God says, no, they just need to be tweaked. And I say, this is not good for me. He says, no, this needs just to be fixed a little bit more. These things are not good for me. He says, yeah, they're not good for you. They got to get removed. But not on my, not on my plan. Not on my time, it's all God. So part of doing this work is suiting up and showing up and saying, okay, sponsor, I'm ready. You gave me an assignment, here it is. If you're not, you're not ready. By the way, we can have first step reservations sober five and 10 years, 15 years. We can rest on our laurels and on my accomplishments. What do my actions say? Great gut check. The process of recovery is not only removal, but it's transformational. It's not a linear one. The illness doesn't care how long I'm sober. By the way, neither does God. Are you awake or sound asleep? My actions will tell you that in a second. Right? I know guys with 5, 10, 15, 20 years, stagnant, relying on old, old experiences to be present. They're struggling. They're hurting. But the ego won't say, you know, you're close to a drink. You know you're close to getting high. You know you're close to relapse. You know you're close to losing your marriage. Ego say, no, you're great. They're nuts. Right? Why would the illness give me truth? The great thing we get to experience when we're experiencing God, the byproduct of that without trying, it's just part of God, is great humility. We're incredibly teachable. We're incredibly open to new things, to new practices. It's no longer a threat. No one's a threat, not when we walk in the sunlight of the Spirit, because we walk with God. And the great thing is I get to recognize you walk with God, whether you're drinking or sober. We come from the same place. What freedom in that? And we can disagree. We can have a debate. We can retire to each other's room for a little while. But we're not going to war over it. Because at some point, God's going to speak. Let's make amends. Let's, let's fix this. Okay. Unlike what they're doing in Washington. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> I like going through the work often at least once a year. I like the effect produced by God. And so once a year I go through the work. And I will tell you, every time I've sat down to do a fifth step, I get squirrely, I get uncomfortable, I get tight, I get nervous, anxiety, because I know what the process is about to involve, what's going to be involved with this. I'm going to uncover everything to my sponsor. I'm going to disclose everything. That's just the way God makes, makes me. I, I just let it rip. I don't you know, skip over anything. But I know I'm going to get feedback. I know he's going to talk to me about certain things. I know he's going to ask more questions, and that's uncomfortable. It's vulnerable, but ain't that great? Because what the work does is allow me to remove all the identities I've, I've accumulated as to who I am and standing free before God. So once a year, I go through the work. Now, what happens when guys come to me in step five? What do I do? I don't invent anything. I don't try to reinvent the wheel. I pass on what was given to me. We can never share outside our experience. 
even when we do a talk like this. You can't share outside your experience. Someone asks you to go give a talk, go give a talk. Try to invent stuff, try to sound profound, you get nervous. I gotta sound good. No, you don't. That's your ego's talking. Just talk to another drunk. I remember the first time I did a workshop, I call up Don P. I said, what do I do? He said, what would you tell a drunk who was sitting in front of your table tonight? I'll tell him how to go to the work. He's good, you got 300 more tonight. <laughs> okay, let's go. Can't shout outside your experience. So these guys come to me. Before they come to me, I pray and meditate. I get a few minutes with me and God because I'm about to be used by God. And I need to see what God's seeing. I need to hear what God's hearing. And I need to be very clear about my words. But I try not to let them know it. And I try to be very matter-of-fact about it. And we'll read and make some prayer. And off we go. And they start to read to me. And I ask them, same thing was done to me, do not explain. When you're doing an inventory with me, I don't need, let me explain. Let me tell you about what happened here. Now the ego has gotten involved and wants to like make it a little cleaner, make it a little shiny, protect itself. So they're told just to read what's on paper because that's what God gave you, so just read to me. And I have a notepad and pen and I take notes. I'll refer to my book. Every once in a while I will stop them. It's okay, what did you say? What was that about? Let's go back a little bit. Let's talk about this, then they'll talk about it. Because I need more information. And I'll start writing down fear, self-centered, self-seeking, whatever it might be. And over and over and over, the same thing when I sit with the sponsor, the same stuff is repeated. Page after page after page. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our troubles. It's all over the inventory. And if we took every one of our inventories and dropped it in a funnel, whether your inventory is 10 pages or 1,000 pages, we dropped it in a funnel, guess what comes out? One word, fear. The entire inventory. All of it, the resentments, what's behind a resentment? Fear, fear is fear, what's behind sex? Fear, principles, institutions, what's behind it? Fear, the evil and corroding thread, the fabric of my existence was shot through with it and it separates me from God. It's a wall between me and God and it's not letting me out. And it will infect everyone I come in contact with. It will infect my work, it will infect my money. It, it'll allow me to see it through fear, through the world through fear. Disease, discomfort, anxiety, fear. Right? Worried about the future. Fear is always in the future. Fear is never behind me. Fear is never in this moment. Fear is always, well, what about then? A minute from now, an hour from now. Fear is always in the future. Even if something I did inappropriate last night, I got fears because what you're going to find out about. Fear is always in the future. Right? And it's usually because I'm trying to inflict my will on everyone else. God's will, easy, simple, open, no fear, no anxiety. I'm present to the moment. No attachments. I'm breathing easy. I'm walking okay. Hmm? With all the baggage, all the cracks in the armor, I'm okay. Hmm? The ego's looking for perfection in everything. Impossible. Hmm? So I do this work with these men, and I usually, when we're done with five, I have a list of defects that we, we've learned about. And I don't tell them, these are your defects, go work on them. It's just a kind of a, a little idea of what was revealed during that work. While they were reading, I saw fear, I saw self-serving, I saw lust, I saw greed, I saw envy, whatever it might be. Usually the seven deadly sins and their relatives. Get all this stuff. And we get the common thread, we get the common traits. And it's all fear, but there's just different names to them. It helps them identify. 
And part of their six-step assignment and seven-step assignment is to take these defects, they can throw them out, they can add to them, they can remove. It's just a list to go offer to God. This is what was revealed to me, Father. I'm willing that you take every one of these. I consider these objectionable. And God's going to do what God's going to do, but it gives them something to look at. Defects from the resentment inventory that revealed. Defects from the fear inventory that revealed. Defects from the sex inventory that was revealed. Defects from principles, institutions, all coming out of the fourth column. And we have a list, 10, 15, whatever it might be, and we surrender them to God. Not petitioning. There was a gentleman in Staten Island uh, that I knew, and uh, he was a bit of a bulldog, loud, obnoxious, uh, great sponsor. That was his thing. And he says for years he's been praying to God to have a quieter spirit, a little bit more mild-mannered. It's never been removed, and he realized that he helps so many people who need that type of person. So God left that alone, just tweaked it a little bit. Same way if I'm a meek and quiet man, I want to be loud and, 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 and powerful, but I keep attracting men who need that gentle soul. God's just going to tweak that. Because I'm in the world, you're in the world to play the role God assigns. And God knows exactly what I need to walk through this. So step six talks about uh, willingness as being indispensable, absolutely required. Indispensable, absolutely required. Do I have the willingness to continue? Yes or no? Because we're about to approach the amen at the end of seven. And we're going to be out of the searching, out of the discovering, and into fixing, repairing, making amends. And I showed up to the sixth step with a spirit of willingness that everything here, Father, if you think it's wrong, you take it. I don't care where I'm going. I can't be attached to how it's going to feel or what I, where I'm going to go. It's all your deal, but I stand ready. Based on what? My first step experience. Right? Step one should be moving me and pushing me and moving me and pushing me. The further I get away from step one, I should be driven further into step one, not further away from step one where I forgot. Well, I got comfortable. I went through the work one time, and uh, uh, I got my six and seven instructions. And after the seven-step prayer, I went into meditation. And while I was in meditation, the words came to me was, Father, save me from me. That came from another place, not from me. Father, save me from me. And the clarity of that thought was, no one has ever hurt me but me. I'm better off fighting a guy who's six foot, you know, 12, 300 pounds than tangling with me in my mind. It's always destructive. But then something else happened when I was done with that. I remember feeling raw, like a raw nerve. Empty, I was shaking, I was uncomfortable. I looked like someone who walked into AA for the first time. Like I just came off a run. That's how I was feeling. No th thought about drinking or taking anything else. I was just raw, shaking. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was having a breakdown. I was, what's this? And I called up my sponsors, Mark, here's what's going on. And he was, his reply was this. It sounds like you're having an experience and hung up the phone. <laughs> Great words. And great actions by an awakened teacher. Because how many of us would have said, well, let's talk about this. What's going on? Um, did you eat today? You know, 
You should go to a meeting. Don't worry about it. It's okay. That's what we mostly do. But what an awakened teacher, he knew what was going on. What I find out, what I found out later on, is I was experiencing the death of self, not the physical death, the death of self, and that felt like I was dying, which is the best way to say it. It felt like it was crumbling from in imploding, and he knew it, and he's, he realized that if he was going to talk me out of that, he would destroy the whole experience. When Silky walked into Bill, and Bill says what happened to him, Silky didn't say, well, Bill, let's get you some boost bar and settle you down, <laughs> right? Let's, let's, let's have a process group right now. We'll call all the patients in and talk about what's wrong with you. Don't worry about it. He didn't do that. He says, hold on to it. It's better than what you had, and left him alone. That's what Mark did with me. It was great. He didn't interrupt God's experience because I came out, came out on the other side cleaner, lighter, freer. This path, for many of us, I want to experience God so every day is pleasant, every day is joyful, every day I'm joyous, happy, and free, and going through the trenches in the discovery, it can be uncomfortable. It can be incredibly uh, unsettling. I was talking to someone earlier of something called Dark Night of the Soul, and if anyone has explained that, where everything is turned upside down. We're chopping wood and carrying water, but the whole world is foreign. We have doubt, skepticism about God, about the process, about everything. I can't figure anything out anymore. And I'm stripped raw, if you will, spiritually stripped down to the raw. I don't know what to do. I'm writing inventory, I'm working with people, I'm discussing, I'm doing all things I have to do. But even a walk down the block, I feel like I've never walked down that block before. I walk into a home group, it's as if I don't know anyone. I'm looking in through the window and watching people operate, people I've known for years. Something is wrong. Dark night of the soul. We will get it. Different lets of time, varying degrees. It's a huge cleaning out. It's a pruning. And many of us will not hang in there. When we get out on the other side, as long as we're seeking God, we're brought to a new plateau. We're brought to a new level of understanding or brought to a new level of experiences with God, unlike anything we could have planned before. Because in, in the dark night of soul, there is no ego involved in that. Many of us want to pray and go to have visions and talk about our visions and talk about the great works we're doing. That's all ego. A humble man doesn't need to say a word. Just to get invited into their life. An egotistical master type, but all the great things they're doing, every place they're speaking, and it goes on and on and on and on and on, and they'll remind you about 20 times how humble they are. <laughs> Dark night of soul, that doesn't exist. And it's an uncomfortable feeling. Now, do you want to go after God now? Are you ready to pick up the cross and go? Are you ready to walk this really narrow path? You might not be popular. You're not popular if you have a big book in AA. You might not get applause from every place you go. I thought it was a hit for a minute. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but am I willing to walk? Am I willing to pick up my cross and go? And experience God, which means what I come here for, to put down the drink and the drug. We get our spiritual wings and we go fly. I don't have to get another white chip ever again. I have to go back into a treatment center ever again. I don't have to visit a halfway house ever again. I have to get my day chip anymore. Those days are long gone. I'm here to serve with no attachments to what that looks like. All right? That's all I got. Peace.